Is this kind of like starting in your garage? Yes, this is the this is the epitome Welcome of starting to our in our startup. garage. Yeah, maybe one day we'll be actually be like a big media empire, and we'll be like, remember that time when you guys when we recorded back in that back hallway? I would say we build out the studio exactly like this. Exactly, it just like put foam on the walls, and that's it. Mm-hmm. That's the only difference. And no napkins. <laughs> no napkins. Nothing. Just <laughs> except we're gonna fill we're gonna no fill this napkins. cooler with ice and beer. Whoa, that cooler's still back there. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's clutch, man. Did you know that over $5 trillion exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over $220 billion an hour. Now, how does this much money move every single day, and why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkenomics, two bartenders who also happen to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business are going to sit down and drink to the global economy and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. And welcome back to Drunkonomics, everybody. I'm so glad you could join us because you know how like sometimes you do like a project and you have that one guy in your group that just, you know, takes charge of the whole thing because he's obviously the smartest guy. And he's the one that should be taking charge of the whole thing. Well, we have that person in our presentation today. His name is Dave Fiala. Dave, say hi to everybody real quick. Hi, everybody. That was very graceful. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, man. So glad you could join us. Again, We, I think we should make clear, guys, the reason this episode is late is because this is the third attempt we're making. Yes. The second attempt this week. Yeah. We have tried really, really hard to make this work, and Dave has been extremely gracious. So, Dave, I can't thank you enough for joining us for a drink, man. This is so great. <laughs> I want you to introduce yourself, but at the same time, I feel like you're just going to be like, uh, what is there to know about me? I mean, I'm just... Guy likes to drink, you know. I don't know. So. I, it's it's kind of simple, right? Dave, late eighties, early nineties, football stud, uh, Chicago Board of Trade guy, runs Futures One, real estate investor, owner of a gym, owner of the gym that I worked at, at right, General Class Act, and not to mention great cigar and scotch taste. So <laughs> I said General Class Act. It doesn't hurt to just mention it even more that he's got great scotch and cigar taste. But anyways, for those of you who don't know, let me just go into detail a little bit more about Dave. Um, because I'm, I'm kind of bragging about Drunkenomics because we got a guy like Dave Fiala on Drunkenomics. But uh, like James said, football stud at the University of Nebraska. He walked on um, was in 1990. I think was that when you was that when you walked on? Was 89 or 90 or whatever. This is back when when we actually had a freshman team. Oh, that's yeah. right. Okay. Usually a red shirt and then get into that's the right. grind with the with the main team. So nice. Yeah. So anyways, Dave walks on. He ends up. Uh, working his way onto the field, you lettered three times, two, three times, two, or at least two, at least two. Cool, nice. And y- even you don't know, so if you don't know, no one knows. But <laughs> it's been a few years. It's yeah. not the most important thing. That, that is true. But anyways, fast forward, he ends up his senior year. I mean, you won one or two national titles at the university. Zero. Oh, I thought you won one. Zero. Oh, the last, sorry, ninety-four well, Orange Bowl, which is ninety-three season. We missed the field goal at the end of the game to win the national title. But that wasn't yeah. your kick, right? I didn't kick. I was on the field. Oh, I didn't kick. Were well, you one of the fullbacks blocking? You. <laughs> did you snap the ball at least? Or was it? I did not snap the ball. <laughs> you are the long snapper. Okay, cool. So your senior year, you led the league in rushing yards per carry, even though, granted, it was eight humble carries, but you let the, you, you let the team. That's leading That's the right. team is leading the team. So after that, uh, you end up going to grad school at the university. You, study, you studied economics? Economics, ag, ag economics. That's right. So basically, you're, you're pretty much good at everything you try to hand at in life at this point. Dave is one of those people. I know it's kind of annoying. He's good at everything he does. He's great at football. 
good in the classroom. He ends up going to Chicago to work on the CME. And this is back when, like, there was like a whole pit and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, we still had the trading pits. Um, you know, the, uh, I want to say 96, 97 timeframe is when yeah, E-mini e came out with the S&P trading and the Dow, Dow futures contract uh, came out. And then that started trading electronically. And it was uh, probably the classic internet. Your internet goes down. You can't place a trade. So we had some uh, platforms where people could trade online back in that time frame in the, in the late 90s. And, you know, obviously things evolved after that, but the, right. the writing was on the wall where the pits are going to go away. Right. They're still used for some option trades in different markets that make sense uh, for the pits to be used. Right. Yeah. And we talked, we talked a little bit last time when we sat down, but uh, uh, like, you know, when people watch like the movie Wall Street or they watch like, tr or they watch like trading places and they see like all these people just standing there trying to place orders like on the floor of an exchange. I mean, it's just not, it's not like that anymore. I mean, like I've been in the New York Stock Exchange. And, and uh, I got to think the last time I probably was even down to the trading for me, it's been a couple of years. <laughs> it is. And there's some option pits that are, that'll be more active, but I had an office in the board of trade for Futures One for about 10 years. Oh, nice. And that's been now about nine years ago since we had that office. So um, I just haven't been in the, in the exchange that much in the last, last decade. And the few times I come down there, it's just, it's just slower. Depends right. on the day and the market and what's going on. So when you go, so what was your first job out of college? When you first got out of college, what was the very first thing you did? Um, it was technically a job, but it was like a training program that the CME had for, I think they only did this for like three years, two or three years. And it was a, a program where we worked at the exchange, worked on the floor, worked in some back office and, and just kind of had overall paid uh, internship almost type of a scenario, which was a wow, program that did for about 20 people for about three years. Yeah. It was a unique experience down there, but I, I you know, quickly, yeah. like the next, I was down there in 1999 and then in 2000 started Futures you One. came back here to start Futures One? Back here. And I and I, I got a request for if I was interested, but I filled in when one professor retired teaching the ag marketing classes at the University of Nebraska for a couple of years that, that uh, got me back to Nebraska in more of a full-time capacity. Right. Yeah. Because I know you taught at Nebraska for a little bit and then you also wrote for a journal or a publication or something like that too or something well i've still i still write for uh dtn which is out of omaha i've wow. been a, a daily commentator for them for i think it's actually i think it's 20 years this month actually um since i started happy anniversary hey <laughs> cheers <laughs> but, uh, but that's always a great experience you know when you get some some notoriety but it's just a one of those things between our firm and writing things every day it just keeps keeps you in the uh yeah. the loop of the market and keeps you thinking so like when you first got to Chicago, like were the what were the things that you traded for the most part? I mean, so you traded futures, did you trade commodities as well? And, and did you ever touch any options? I wouldn't differentiate futures or commodities. I would still say that's referencing oh, the really? same. In I, terms I, of the futures I don't, markets. I don't know. That's how much I know about futures. Well, I think you, you, you know a fair amount. And then the options, and really, I think in terms of our business and even thinking about options or derivatives, you know, it's derivatives, of course. But uh, mm -hmm. even with stocks or other, any other market, I mean, that's just the way we think as you look at options, you look at all these different opportunities to control risk and, and do right. different things, different timeframes that you may want to do for a customer because everybody can be a little different where they want some uh, some type of protection or there's downside or upside even for a short period of time. So we really did learn a lot, a, a lot about options. And then, and then, again, I'll go back to the training program, but even from college and then when I taught in college. And again, it's always a learning experience. You never feel like you're that big of an expert because you'll always be humbled by the market. And you you got to know that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because you need to learn. I mean, learn the market and respect it. And I think yeah. if you don't do that, you don't respect economics and you don't respect you know, the science of the market. But but yeah, I mean, we traded, it was usually for customers, but it was futures and options and definitely a mix, a mix of both. All right. So you were talking about risk. 
So why do futures exist? Is it just to guard against the downside, guard against volatility in a market? Or It is. And I, I mean, futures originally began, I should know the year, but I don't, I can't off the top of my head. But it, well, you're not grading anymore. Well, but I mean, we're talking pre-1900 and a lot of it was just mm-hmm. for an exchange, I mean, an exchange and built around agricultural products and a, and a place for, mm-hmm. for the producers or other agribusiness that are in that market to, to trade them and hedge risk and have a central market, a central market price to, to trade off of. You know, we trade basically globally off the off the uh, Chicago futures market, and then you always just have your local basis. So you're trading cash commodities, whether it's positive or negative, off off of the board price. Um, that's more of a universal item. Um, so it's something that's, although it can be volatile, it's still stable, a very stable environment to trade okay. off of, but not Bitcoin. Bitcoin's oh, gotcha. no. <laughs> well, not, very, not very stable, I, not a lot of volume. But I, I wanted to talk about like the volatility of commodities because I feel like there's so many different factors that play in commodities, right? And, and not to mention commodities are much more inelastic like, than an actual stock. So, you know, like I, I know the stock market nowadays, especially is really, really volatile, but like, you know, I guess really what I'm asking is like, I mean, how volatile are, like, are commodities markets just as volatile as equity markets or is it like not even close? I think it's actually probably fairly equal. You know, you have days that are very volatile in the stock market, but obviously now for the last 12 months, it's been yeah. a volatile, a volatile scenario when you talk about the stock market. And, and this would actually be maybe a good example of how you could use futures and, and even a way to participate in an index fund or do that type of thing using the futures market rather than using an index fund, which today isn't done as much or wouldn't make as much sense because interest is very low. <laughs> There's a, you know, back when interest rates were higher, you could say, I'm going to keep all my cash in a in a five year, ten year, and earn, earn earn interest on my cash, and I only need to post twenty percent of the value of that stock index, and I could just be long the futures. And so, as the market goes up, I'll make my right, gains yeah. on my investment with that, and I'll still I'll still make money um, in addition to that with the uh, interest rate product that I have money invested in because I only need that small amount for the for the margin for the leveraged uh, futures contract. So. I mean, that's another way to look at it in terms of volatility. So we're still trading the market as a whole. Our, I don't much with our firm. You know, we don't trade the stock index as much or other things other than mostly agricultural right. products. But, uh, but that volatility is seen on the future side as well, in line with the stock market and the daily moves. Right, Obviously, yeah. you see the futures implied open or you see the, you know, whatnot on, on, on TV. Yeah. But uh, when it comes back to commodities, it still has to do with it always has to do with supply and demand, and it has to do with obviously weather yeah. and different items such as that that affect everything around the world. And the commodities have had a tremendously volatile year, and maybe not every day has been volatile, but with the whole effect of COVID and the uncertainty of what that meant to the commodity markets. Uh, for example, you know, what, one of the biggest um, uses for corn in the United States is ethanol production, and you're, look, you're right. using over five billion bushels of corn when we're producing roughly fourteen billion bushels of corn. It's a significant <laughs> portion of our usage, and all of a sudden, just as gasoline went down, oil went down, so did ethanol. Where there's spot ethanol yeah. went down to ninety <laughs> cents a gallon last spring when the prices <laughs> dipped, and so that profitability was gone. The market fell. Right. Uh, production looked to be getting off to a good start, and it was an okay year, but we didn't finish off great. But we had mm-hmm. cash corn where just as use round numbers, but say it was a three fifty type price to per bushel for your cost of production. And right. there was spots in the country where your cash corn was two fifty projected really? at harvest when we were at our lows. Dang. So we've actually totally flipped the market over from that scenario where we hit uh hit some lows and same with soybeans and China had some production issues, some flooding issues that helped some demand optimism. The Trump, you know, trade deals in 
improved some trade optimism and and everything turned turned around into where now we're at seven year type highs in, in corn and beans and, and some right. levels we haven't seen in quite some time. So from a up to down, we've had a tremendously volatile yeah. year, and a, a nice move. And from a U.S. farmer perspective, it's really good. And and of course now yeah. everyone wishes they didn't sell a bushel <laughs> of anything until uh, where we're at now. Yeah, but one of the things I wanted to ask about too, so like. You know, it, our future price is just like an aggregate thing because, you know, let's say like corn production in Iowa slows down, but corn production in Nebraska ramps up. And it's just because different weather implications or whatever, you know, if those two things even out, does it, you know, because the aggregate corn supply is still the same. But I think, I mean, but that's a good question. And, and it does, it does even out. I mean, it's still looking at the domestic market and the global market. And, and yeah. what I mentioned about basis, where then you'll have a firmer cash market versus the futures and in uh, Iowa versus Nebraska or vice versa, depending on if one one state or the other may have some production issues. Um, mm-hmm. So that's still localized and the market finds a way to fix it. And between rail trucking and uh, whatnot, right, I mean, the logistics yeah. can move move around and, and grain may start moving in different directions based on production yeah. issues domestically. But um, the export market obviously is where the global picture, where the even out, if you will, even out occurs. And yeah. again, it's been a Tremendous year, actually, 2020 and even earlier in 2021, where now we've kind of put a big slam, kind of slammed on some of these exports. We've slowed them down. And we're mm-hmm. right where we have South American harvest coming in. So there's just a bigger available supply in the world right now with the with the uh, yeah. Southern Hemisphere uh, production coming online. But but it's, yeah, the, the market evens out. And, th- and that's what the futures market does. It looks at all, all it looks at and tries to have a balance of, of everything going on, supply and demand in the world. Yeah. So let's, okay, so let's bring it down to like a more micro level. So like, let's say in this instance, like that farmer in Nebraska is producing a ton of corn and that farmer in Iowa just can't produce enough corn, right? So what happens from, on a micro level? Like how do they use futures to hedge against, you know, if the if the price quote on the CME is what it is, you know, regardless, if it evens out, like that farmer that didn't produce as much corn, like what what's, I mean, he's kind of screwed, isn't he? <laughs> you can say it that way. And that's what you have crop insurance for. Yeah. yeah well, but but the- regional regional shortages and regional things. And when I talk about basis, um, I just mean the cash market finds a way. And whether a rail market gets hotter and it ends up being 10 or 20 cents higher to move corn in a certain direction, or it's just a truck market that moves corn. And, and you know, really with the state of Iowa, I mean, we're still talking about Illinois corn can move into Iowa. Minnesota corn can move into Iowa. Missouri corn can move into Iowa. If there's a real big issue, which there there was some definitely some areas in Iowa that got hit, and we had the big rain or the big windstorms um, in Iowa this last year, so we've had some interesting weather to say the least in Iowa. It's a, it's a it's a great question, but I mean that's really more of a cash local market scenario that that helps make up the difference where the futures will adjust and they were went up. Mm-hmm. So sure, if a yeah. if a producer would have bought the market and and looked to try to reown some stuff and make it on the way up, since they had some shortfalls. But that still would have been a little more speculative when they didn't have the cash grain. Yeah. Um, and that's why I have crop insurance. And Yeah. But does that does that farmer in Iowa load up on a bunch of futures and then all of a sudden it just increases all this volume in the futures market? I mean, does, does that happen? And then does that affect the price of the actual futures contract? I mean, the market's big enough and active enough that I wouldn't... One uh, local market won't really affect it that much? Not from overall volume. It's still going to be active. But I mean, there's no question that affected the market this year and it will react to it. Okay. But whether that's in... Southern Brazil or areas of Argentina, areas of China. I mean, the market does react. That's definitely part of the day-to-day volatility. Yeah, but you, because you're saying, because of the size and the scale of the markets, because it's a global market, I mean, it's obviously not going to be that drastic. Um, I guess, I mean, what, what would I call drastic in this in this market? I mean, when you get some bigger moves. But uh, this year, 
you know, we're going in again in seven year high territory for corn and soybeans. So it'll be an interesting growing season. But typically, some of the bigger reactions that you get out of the market are in reaction to a USDA report or something that, you know, the, the three or four major right. reports that come out annually and there's always a, a month right yeah kind of like kind of like in uh what's that one movie trading places yeah, kinda, yeah trading places yeah yeah um, beaks in his orange juice report yeah exactly when he got the frozen orange juice country report he was like oh my gosh short futures yeah. but in that instance where you just don't have that much supply if you're one of those farmers would you like buy a bunch of in the quote quote unquote in the money is that is that the same term for futures because it's in the money options so would you buy in the money put futures? I don't even know what the downside. Well, you would buy you'd buy a put is. if you want to protect the downside, and it's still going to cost a fair amount of money if it's near the money. Of course, uh, if it's in the money, it's going well, to cost even more. Yeah, well, and so you, when we sat down, the mics weren't hot. You said, you know, all the Greeks, Theta, Delta, Vega, all those things are all the same as far as like how they're applied to futures and options it's it's the same are, are they the same it's the same as if you're looking at stocks but i mean obviously your delta is the change in the price of the option relative to the change in the underlying stock right exactly. the stock or the yeah. underlying, underlying con- sword falling on the ground in our garage <laughs> but the yeah. uh good old but no, days but the, uh you know again it's the the theta is the change in time value as you move forward so yeah i mean it's just understanding options and that's and then applied volatility is vague right the, uh, but, so it's on top of that are there the same is it the same like do they have iron condors and butterflies and spreads and straddles it's and options futures? or options or options and you're correct whether it's on a stock or it's on a futures and then it really comes down to how liquid they are how active they are and right. you know whether whether you want to do a condor, I don't, or do some I don't know. Fancy options strategy. It's just a strategy, though. Right, but, strategy. Is, but is that something that people do with futures? Yes, I mean they'll do different options around it because you're just looking for a certain price move. But at the end of the day, it's still you know you just you got to understand options and you understand a group of options together. And most normal customers aren't in some big fancy option strategies. It's typically more. Somebody that's on the floor, that's an institutional trader that trades a bigger strategy. And a lot of times they're automatically trading futures to balance their position and they may just want to make time value, you know, as an option. So, yeah, option exactly. So they'll do like which a creates, Which creates the uh, volume to make it more of a feasible tool for more people right. because when you have uh, an option that has a lot of volume in, in the trades. Right, yeah. So, but like, so people that do put on those trades, that do put on those weird condors and butterflies and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I'm, I assume those aren't people, like a farmer would never do that, right? I mean, it's probably some Wall Street guy that's actually trading. It just, I mean, he's not ever going to, he's not he's not planning on buying the commodity, is he? <laughs> well, and, and really with futures or futures options, I mean, you're, you can be in and out in a second. It's oh, yeah, buy and I can sell. So the, the, the liquidity is there. Well, yeah. You can be in and out of something. Uh, it's just a commitment to buy or sell and you offset, offset it with another item. But in terms of option trades, I mean, sure, a hedger could get uh, fancier, if you will, or put some ratio spreads or, or do things. But usually you're looking for a certain type of move and a certain type of time frame. And you don't think it's going to go higher. So it's still just a way just a way to manage the risk or manage a position, whether it's speculative or it's a hedging right. type strategy. Um it is what it is. <laughs> That's one way to put it. But bottom line is, I mean, sorry, we kind of went out and then went back in. But bottom line is, if there's a farmer that doesn't, uh, it just isn't producing enough of a certain commodity that they're trying to produce or that they make that they make a living producing, they can buy a put to stabilize and just kind of like lock in that break even price. Is that correct? They could, and, and you're talking still about for, for open bushels, but you know, again. If there's weather problems and somebody has major issues, you're still talking about, you know, you have crop insurance and that's going to help cover and mitigate those losses. And if you start taking on more risk, you could take 
some risk you don't really need to by trying to speculate the market's going to skyrocket by being along a whole bunch of grain. But if you still manage, you know, within the confines of what you have. So, so we usually right, see I mean, futures, it's a raw material or an input product. Stuff. Physical good. Yeah. But from what I've seen, or I don't necessarily see that there, is there just no money to be made doing futures in semiconductors, cars, finished products like they're, that? They're, yeah, that's a really good question. Do they exist or? Not that I'm aware of. I'm sure there could always be a rogue market somewhere. Well, is it, is it because it's just, there's just no profitability in creating that future or it's too controlled? Is it too controlled as a... In terms of like factories are producing as opposed to... It's not a... With the commodity, you want a uniformed product that's the same over and over and over and over mm-hmm. again. So, of course, you have a certain oil. standard. It weighs so much. It's There's a certain quality, even with... Would be something that's different and evolving and changing. Like microchips. It's really not a commodity. It might be from a capacity. Like a, a very specific commodity, like a very specific type of chip, but because the architecture is constantly changing, Correct. two chips aren't the same. And especially as you evolve through technology and time, you would not expect them to be the same or be some type of. A okay. Yeah, exactly. I always kind of wonder because I assume if there's a way to make money, because right now there's a the semiconductor shortage. And it's like, well, didn't someone see this coming and try and create some sort of market? Yeah, why can't we hedge against it? Like a farmer could hedge against the Detroit yeah, force. I don't know, let's, we can start a fund for that. A little late now. How much money do you want to put in? <laughs> no, I just, I, I just, I'm surprised no one did. I mean, if they create water futures now. Yeah. Which, yeah, so know. what do you feel about, what's your feelings on that? I mean, I, I want to talk about Bitcoin eventually too, but like, what, oh, yeah. what do you, how do you feel about water futures? I don't know. I actually I don't even understand the product when you, when you say that, but there's different weather futures and, and other items, but it's just not something that I've traded or looked at. And a lot of times it's just a thin market that doesn't necessarily make sense trading it. So you're saying so, water futures are a thin market. I guess that, I mean, it kind of seems It's fair. water for God's sakes. Come on. Well, how are you going to get it from... The spring to, I mean, you could put it in a truck. I mean, but how does like Aquafina deliver water to all these grocery stores? You know what I mean? In a truck. In a bottle. I mean, it can't, it can't be that hard. I'm just saying. See what I mean? You could put it in a bottle, right? So if you buy water futures and you're entitled to X amount of water, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what the quantity is going to look like actually, but who was going to, oh, so on top of water futures, like, cause I know I've kind of been mixed about water futures. I've always felt like they shouldn't be a thing. There's there's a little bit of quarrel internally with futures just because I feel like, you know, some Wall Street guy that, you know, isn't helping a farmer hedge and isn't actually trying to collect the actual product. He's just trading futures to make money. And because of that, he's affecting the price of an inelastic good. That, that kind of sits uneasy with me. So is there any way you could help me? With that uneasiness, or is it just something that I just got to deal with? In terms of, you know what water? I mean, James. You're like, well, I'm just, anything, anything really, like meat. Like if all of a sudden meat costs eight bucks a pound, not eight bucks a pound. I, mean, like I was going to say bucks eight a bucks a pound. I'd go yeah, crazy, crazy too, depending on the meat. <laughs> now, if, if meat went down to eighty cents a yeah. pound, I would also yeah, go exactly. crazy. Sorry, depending on the meat, right? So. Right. But that's what I'm saying. Is like, you know, everybody's got to eat. That's why. That's yeah. how the commodity markets are a little bit. Well, it's also it's uniform with most. So if we ignore like the organic, at least as I understand, if we ignore like the organic versus free range chicken argument for like eggs and other things, if we take corn as just it doesn't inherently matter where the corn came from. Corn is corn. Then right, of course. All I need at my sunship factory is corn to show up. And as long as it does at the price I previously agreed to purchase it at because of the futures I created. I don't really care about the rest. Because Whereas, derivative, you know, yeah. you get into organic markets and some right, things like that. And it's, you know, oh, antibiotic free and hormone free. And you're like, well, it's still beef, but it's a lot harder to source 
because there's fewer people doing it. Right. But it's so like, James, you and I have talked about this where we kind of feel like there's a sense of immorality with mm-hmm. like some Wall Street douchebag that is making oh, yeah. the price of a certain commodity shoot through the roof. No, I don't think I've been all that quiet in other when, episodes, I, when right. I talk about how futures after a certain point outside of a certain window becomes speculation to me. So I, I absolutely hate when you right. see like, oh, oil prices are high. And it's like, why are oil prices high? It's like, well, because five years ago, Chad and Brad and Thad all decided <laughs> that they were going to buy the five years from now oil futures for whatever they pay. Yeah, Chad and Brad and Chad LP. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, so help me with that. I, I mean, okay. this, this is where I need Dave's help is like, you know, when is that okay? It's like, when, when is it okay when Chad and Brad LP decide that like, they can drive a price of a commodity down or up just to make a fat profit while a bunch of other people suffer. I think it's harder to drive the price down. Right. But I mean, like, is that something that happens a lot? I guess, is it po- and- I guess what you're asking in a simplistic sense is, is it possible through futures if they're long enough out and you have enough money to manipulate the market? Yeah. Like the actual Or like market. a short squeeze to happen or gamma squeeze to happen with a certain, is a gamma squeeze? <laughs> or gamma squeeze is a thing with futures? It's I mean, a gamma squeeze. You know, the one thing that the futures has, and this would be even a disclosure of positions, is it does weekly disclose the commitment of traders reports. And so you do know um, if it's a commercial, if it's a speculator, if it's a fund, or if it's a small guy, okay. they're, they're average positions. And typically Ooh, with okay. contracts that are really traded, where they have a lot of volume and it's a significant contract, no matter what, if the funds are going to have to market, they're going to move it. You can make all the arguments you want to, whether or not it's speculative mm-hmm. or it's, or it's mm-hmm. backed by fundamentals or whether it's premium in the market, it is what it is. The market's going to be the market. But I think to one of your points you just you made, yeah. whether it's driving the market down or running it up, it's both ways. I mean, it happens both ways. And the funds can pile in and be heavily short or they can pile in and be heavily long. And typically, in like this year, we were heavily short and the switch got turned in August with the little drier weather and the market turned and it just didn't stop. And it, it didn't just have a little bounce, it just kept going. And it's still a surprise to me. I still think we're maybe higher than we need to be in some some of our grain commodities right now. But, you know, at, at this juncture, we have our growing season to get into here in the United States. And, yeah. and uh, we'll be planting corn in a month from now and in the major states. And, and we'll, you know, we'll see how the growing season goes. But, but could you have more contracts, more outstanding contracts, more open interest in the actual amount of a certain commodity being produced? Because like in stocks, that happens all the time. I mean, it can, it can occur, sure. And I think another way... I'm, well, I think one thing that people look at is to say, you know, you, you have an annual balance sheet for grains because you grow you know, every every year you have a growing season and then you go into the next year. So a lot of times the market will look at the carryover. So the amount of grain that's our surplus from year to year. And if there's a speculative position higher than that carryover, gotcha. usually yeah. that's looking at a significant position that could manipulate the market and create more volatility than, well, I don't know if I would say normal. But uh, what ideally hope is a market normal. <laughs> and just reeling back a little bit. I mean, it, whether it's a cattle market or great, you know, ag markets, it's like we have those periods and whether it's a few days every month after a report or something. I mean, we do used to have some pretty good volatility. And then, you know, we set yeah, back and go into a range and, and we still may see a trend that the market sees or, or, or works into. Um, but that's... I just look at that as a normal market anymore. Okay. Well, I mean, you you obviously, neither Aaron or I have been in the trenches on ad <laughs> futures ever. So this is a cool Q&A. Yeah. But you have for to us, shot your gamma rays, right? Yeah. Gamma rays. Yeah. Gamma rays, gamma squeezes. I mean, well, who knows what can happen? There you go. The gamma rays at the Delta. 
Yeah. But okay, so uh, another thing I want to ask too real quick is like there's a difference between options and futures. Not a big one. I guess what are, what are the main ones? Really there isn't. In my mind there isn't. It's just, you know, you have the simple and it's a derivative so it's less than a future so there's a partial, but you know, you just have the simple rules of, of options trading. I mean, you buy you buy a call that makes you long, you sell a call that makes you short, you buy a put that makes you short, you sell a put that makes you long. Oh, and to make you and long. it's right. just a balance. If you have a bigger position or a spread type position, you're you're you know, you're balancing you're balancing your position. So to me, kind of the only major difference is that all futures are kind of options, except well, they're they are and they aren't. They're the same underlying position of their derivatives, but the future has a requirement to consummate. So you have to execute the buy or sell at the agreed upon price, at the agreed upon date. Whereas the option you can choose whether or not to exercise. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Well, but if you're if you exercise an option, you're long. Yeah. What if it's out of the money? You would only exercise an option that would make you money. Correct. Whereas you're required to exercise the future at expiration. Right. And let's just say, for example, once in a while people will do something to shock the market or do something with the big positions they have a 50,000 position 50,000 uh, position put on and the market settles just above me so I'm out of the money but I so I could still execute it at my strike price and that's not known until after the market so then the yeah, uh, next huge. open that that would actually be somebody <laughs> could have thought they sold that option and went it expired worthless but then the owner of the option exercised it and all of a sudden they're sitting in a just, huge, uh, huge short position or a huge long position if the if the put if they well, exercise the put to sell at that with price. Options, so, but with futures, but the options, it's the option it's the option of the option yes. owner. Whereas yeah, the future, exactly. it's it's the obligation of the seller to make good on the volume at set price and the buyer to right. so buy. And, and again, it's the future. take possession of at the set but price. you can buy and sell futures just oh, yeah. no, 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 like no, it no. is, I, but it's... I'm not, I mean, there's a secondary market for it everywhere. I just mean that the difference is that an option doesn't have to be exercised. A future will be. If you're in it. And again, it depends on the contract specs and what's going on. So I did just look up water futures because I've never really seriously looked at them, but it's the California water <laughs> futures. And that would make a little more sense where there's a market where there's a little more risk and a little more <laughs> stuff. And if you watched, uh, if you've watched, I Goliath, started. I think I still was, um, I haven't seen Goliath. So, so you know the you know the water shortage in in uh, California oh, yeah. from that. Yeah. Uh, what do you call that? Mini series. TV show. But uh, um, but that's a contract. It's a cash settled contract. And even like in the cattle market is a. You can deliver on the contract the commodity, so you have that commodity, and you can deliver in locations where feeders is feeder cattle is a the cattle that you would put into the feedlot that you feed before you sell them as fat cattle. That's a cash settle contract. Mm-hmm. Where grains are a set, I'm a delivery contract, and you you get to the end, and you're either going to have to deliver or take delivery at the very yeah. end, or you get out of the positions. Typically, people get out of mm-hmm. the positions, but same thing. That's that's fully transparent when deliveries start to occur. Where's the deliveries? What's the last delivery date? So if you had an older buyer, or I guess if you uh, had to sell, you would deliver. But if you had an older purchase in the market, they may say right now we're delivering on, and now that we're not anymore, well, we're in March. So if we're delivering on a March contract, you could say if you've been long since December 25th, you you have a high probability of being delivered on tomorrow. If, if you know, so you, you, all that stuff's transparent and they put those things out there. Mm-hmm. So, but that, that still, it still brings the market to the commodity. And that's, that's what the commodities are supposed to be and whether whether or not there's manipulation once in a while or, or people argue there is, I mean, it is what it is. You know, you're going to have. So in that instance where the guy that sold the put and the guy that bought the put contract at 50,000 you know, 50, contracts that expired just below the money, 
and the next business cycle, wouldn't that just drive down? Well, it it all depends. I mean, it, it could just be a play to to shock somebody. It could be a play to someone says, look, I own this put, so I have the right to sell at a certain price. I really want to have that sale on, and they put it on. And then there's the other side, whoever wrote the option is going to have the opposite position. So, I mean, that's just maybe right. a, it's a random example. It's really not that good of, a, good of an example. Well, but. I mean, because I just want to talk about exercising. So in the sense of exercising, if you if you bought a put, I take it you don't have to buy it from someone that actually owns the underlying, right? So where would they get? Where would that's they- just going to turn into futures contracts. So there's still a heavier volume of futures contracts if there's that many options being traded. So that's futures contracts. It's not the actual underlying commodity. Especially with grains, for example, they expire in the months before the contract actually becomes deliverable. So that would be avoidable. And typically, if you want the position, you're going to exercise it or you're going to change that option into a future getting towards expiration. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in, in essence, fewer and fewer options get exercised versus people exit them. Because people are going to just exit them, take a profit, take a loss, get in and out. But they typically don't ride it till the end. Oh, of they, course. I mean, they always close or, out or there. people have out-of-the-money stuff they bought and they let it expire worthless of the... There's the market out there that sold that option. They let it expire worthless. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, well, I do that. I, I mean, I trade options and, uh, you know, like I've never exercised. I've traded options for a while now, but I've never exercised. Not I thought right, you said you went saying. to the gym, for God's sakes. Exercise <laughs> at the gym. Only gym we go to is Jim Beam. I exercise by lifting this whiskey glass to my mouth. And then I exercise my jaw by talking trash to you, Dave. <laughs> Killing me, Dave. So, so I, I guess I, I have two. Um, I'm going to ask. I'll go grab it while you answer. So with securities, with equities, we have a clearinghouse. I assume with futures, there's a similar entity. So the OCC that does, that, that behaves as that, that same kind of collector of the cash and the distributor. The OCC. Not better terms, like, the market, not market maker, but the. Well, there's the exchange of the commodity corp, which right. is the exchanges, yes. Okay. So that was one. And then two, we've talked more than one occasion about how at the very beginning of ethanol production, right. you had um, essentially the ethanol production plants that were just long corn. That's all they were. And then you and I have also talked about how- This is from the other day. It is. But also, we've also talked about how like Tesla is just being is just behaving as long Bitcoin right now. <laughs> so Tesla's selling? No, the they're Bitcoin? still holding. The bit of coin or what is it? What is it? Again? Yeah. What kind of stuff is it? Fuck if I know. That's a loaded question and you know it. <laughs> yeah, so, so we talked about being- So when, uh, when, when you have the internal plants just being long corn, meaning that they just bought corn to- say, They were ignoring the fact that they said that they're, produ- that they're an ethanol producer- just like this says, oh, we make cars. Margin business. But really, they're just long in some, in sure, terms yeah. of Bitcoin, commodity. He says with quotation fingers. But yeah, it, I, I think this might be a good hop over to Bitcoin if we really want to go there. <laughs> well, and, and I'll even step back. And I, and I think it's a good topic to always talk about. you know, And even talking about the futures markets and businesses and managing risk with any business. Yeah. It's still a matter of knowing the business you're in and you know taking risk and how large your risk is to Take where drink, you can destroy your business. <laughs> and and some of this is whether it's understanding options and derivatives on the positions you're in where, so again, being long corn. So this is years ago in the, uh, a couple timeframes, whether it was in 2004, 2006 timeframe, 2008 timeframe when we rallied. And then again, in the 2012 timeframe where ethanol facilities, for example, are obviously buying corn and they're selling ethanol. That's their two main uh, buy, buy and sell products that, that they have. Is that kind and of how they hedge? Like Correct, but like, the thing is, you're buying cash corn, and another popular thing in some of these timeframes 
was selling put options. Uh-huh. Okay, sell a put yeah. that makes you long and and you get going and you get or to make you stable, right? Well, yeah. correct, but I mean it's just saying the market's going up, let's sell puts and, and we're then we're just right. becoming we're in the long then you're in the long corn business. Yes. You're not necessarily yeah. in the ethanol business because I'm long a half a year's worth of corn, for example. Right. And the problem well, is if you're selling time, puts yeah. if you're selling puts as you go up you can calculate that delta position and say, this is my net position yeah. in corn. Uh-huh. But then if the market decides, oh, top's in, we're collapsing, we're correcting, all of a sudden, <laughs> wham, wham, <laughs> you know, that delta position obviously grows. And all of a sudden you go from maybe well, maybe on paper with some short options being being long, say, two months, two months, and that can turn to six months or more. Yeah. Well, if you sold out of the money, you know, six months is a lot of time value for that to go to for the price of that underlying to go into the money. Right. But it's you still relative I mean? to the market. I'm just saying this is right, some historic price moves and then the market stopped. And in some of the early commodity ethanol facilities just went out of business because they got caught in positions really? and they were advising it in positions where they were short a bunch of puts and the market went from $8 to $3 and so then- they went out of business because they were in a <laughs> so- long Long position. But so what happened? They had did they have to go buy the actual underlying at three bucks and or no? How it'd be the other way around. Typically, you just get out of your option position and you take a loss. Or but if you didn't, well, right. otherwise you had a margin call. It still turns into a position. So you know, with futures, obviously your margin calls do every day. Right. And uh, they would probably if they didn't have the financial capacity to have that money there that day brokerage company or the fcm that had those positions would have probably forced them to get out or got out for them so you either need to give us the money or we're going to get mm. you out on the close yeah. of a position so i mean that's that's not just for any business i mean it's just yeah. you kind of a universal it's a margin thing right like on, on trading places we put it's duke and duke enterprises right, yeah, exactly it's the duke and duke yeah, commodities doesn't matter. <laughs> and sees all yeah, assets I mean, of duke like, and duke brothers it's never a position you want to be in Sorry, gentlemen. <laughs> All business to be closed at the end of day's trade. But anyway, back to Bitcoin. Yeah, back to Bitcoin. Let's talk about Bitcoin for a little bit, and then let's wrap up because uh, you know let's let's get out of here sooner before we have any more tech issues. So, <laughs> um, so I just want to—I um, mean, going back even to futures in general—and I think you guys have asked some really good questions, and some of them have been pretty uh, maybe out there, just because it's it's. Uh, I would almost say you guys. Um, as good as you are, but you're maybe thinking even too much because it is that simple in terms of what futures are and and the underlying. Wow, thanks, Dave. <laughs> the underlying, the underlying <laughs> we'll uh, take it. but the underlying commodities. And I mean, whether you're just talking strictly, let's just talk about the stock market. Whether you're talking strictly about the Dow, or you're talking strictly about the S and P, or you're talking strictly about the Nasdaq. You could trade futures, options, futures. You know, buy or sell, hedge, hedge your position. I mean, that's okay. what the futures are there for. So I mean, it's. It's really not yeah, not it, that much Dave. different in terms of the position. Um, it's considered a derivative, but it's still whether you're in and out. It's just a, a better way right, to get in course. and out and hedge and do things that are probably even a yeah. quicker capacity. It's way or, quicker. Or yeah. If you're in a big stock portfolio, I mean, to go in and buy some puts or get some kind of position. Say right now, we're starting to turn lower. If you're nervous, the market's going to turn down. Right. It's a it's a thing Dave. to do. It. What you have to understand too is the people that say it's really not that hard. You know, <laughs> the people that say that know what they're doing are people that are really, really smart, right? So, wait, you know, you got to help me, help me, okay? Yeah. So, no, I'm just saying it's it, it's it's going off the same fundamental thing or the fundamental product that we talk about. We'll just talk about the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It's the same market that you see on TV every day. And, you know, I mean, the futures is based off that. There's always a little price difference because, you know, right now we're moving to the June contract and the it only trades mm-hmm. in four four contracts, so March, June, SEP, and DEES. So, yeah. but you're trading, you know, the future a couple months in the future. So the index may be higher or lower depending on the bias in the market if the market's trending higher or trending lower. But jump, let's just jump over to Bitcoin and 
and uh, we've had a few conversations, yes. and okay. and yeah, it makes zero sense to me. It, it seems like a Ponzi scheme. It doesn't uh, it doesn't make any sense. But but from the economic theory, again, it's all three of us. If you live in a country, your currency is going through the roof. That is not good. That's <laughs> very no, very no. bad. That's true. Right? That's yeah. awful. My house, it's worth nothing. If you buy your house for for uh, twenty Bitcoin, and now it's only worth two. That's not good. Well, okay, so this is my thing about Bitcoin is like you can like so like a gallon of gas, let's say it's two dollars, right? If you paid for it in Bitcoin on your way to the gas station, that gallon of gas could be worth seven dollars by the time you get there, and it could be worth two cents. No, it could be it could be worth it could be worth a quarter of Bitcoin, it could be worth a tenth of a Bitcoin, it'd be worth six Bitcoin. And frankly, I just don't know which Bitcoin I'm paying with. Yeah. That's what I, I mean. Think about it going to the supermarket. Hey, the gallon of milk's two, two yes, Bitcoin. Exactly. I mean, you know, $2 or two Bitcoin, there's and now it's so- 10, and then it's five, and then it's 12. And, like, <laughs> yeah. what the hell is going on? I have heard there's an interesting bar well, so, in Chicago will, that will do yeah, something. Like Mr. Musk. You, either, you can either pay a cash price for your drink as you get it, <laughs> or you can agree that you pay whatever the market price for your drink is at the end. So you can either pay now or you can pay later. And I guess they've got a ticker right. running around of like all the drinks and it's constantly changing based on tra- that'd be fun. Yeah, that, a that'd traders be, bar. That'd be good joking out with bar concept. And do, who do stuff like that. And it's those things where it's like, well, you can pay the two fifty that it says now, or you can pay the five dollars it might be in thirty minutes, or you can or hey, the buck fifty it might be in thirty minutes. And this is where? This is a real bar in Chicago. It's in college. It's like a college education. Right? I was gonna say, I was gonna say that bar is all I need to know about Bitcoin to know that I don't want to do Bitcoin. Can you hedge against beer prices? I, I don't know what kind of options they let you create. I just know that that's their pricing model. Yeah, we need to start a bar like that. No, no, no. What you need to do is fill the cooler in the garage where we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll work on it. I've got some pictures. For anyone yeah. who's wondering where we're recording, we are recording in the nicest studio in Lincoln. I'm looking at the best brick wall. Bar none. Yeah, like, there is no bar. It's like bar none. Well, let's let's have a bar. Let's build a bar. But uh, okay, just real quick, let's compare Bitcoin to actual like precious metals. And then I also want to know what you think. Do you think Bitcoin could actually be used as a currency if it ever stabilizes? Like if, if it stabilizes and just grows at a constant inflation rate that like the U.S. dollar does, will it be considered like will, will it be included into the forex markets that you know like the dollar and the euro and the dollar and the lira and all that kind of so, stuff? So my qualified answer to that is I don't sit around every day thinking about this, but I would say absolutely not. I cool. would just say no. I mean, it just. But you're smart, any, so I mean, I want to know your. It opinion, doesn't make but, any sense. So no, I would say it doesn't. But right. I mean, there's those that are and. Obviously, we've had the action that we've had so so far in 2021 with how how high it's moved and different things there. But I watch the news sometimes. They're like, oh, Bitcoin. Oh, it's going to be at 150. Oh, Bitcoin. It's the currency of the future. It's like, uh, is it stable? The only only way was if it would be stable and have a consistent value between the dollar and how many other currencies around the world. I mean, just legitimately, well, it has to be something to me, that's actually tradable. Least, it can't be hacked. At least every other currency in the world has has a central bank backing it. Right, so exactly. Like, but the same thing is that you say, like, oh, you can't hack Bitcoin. So right? you just got to hope someone accidentally calls you and said, Blue Horseshoe says sell Bitcoin or buy nice. I love Blue the Horseshoe hates Bitcoin. Whatever What's really funny is, is that we're going to make all these Wall Street references. And once more, I'm going to plug shamelessly my stepdad's awesome opening credits appearance 
in Wall Street. Every single time you talk about, I mean, have to. yeah, feel have free. To. <laughs> of course, you would. I mean, why wouldn't Ernest you? Why wouldn't you? in Wall Street? He's not. You win. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I, well, I, lose. I have won the argument. Okay, so real quick, I want to compare Bitcoin to gold and silver. So, like, is there a fair comparison here, or should we just? I don't know. Those are industrial inputs, so they have a purpose. Technically, well, and and there's an actual physical thing that you can. What's well, the next one? Right? It's tan- those are tangible. Yeah, and it looks nice. So yeah. I mean, if I could, if I could convince Erica to wear a wedding ring made out of Bitcoin, I would be invisible. You, ah. you are the man. Oh yeah, no, it's it's on my USB stick. I promise, I own it. <laughs> and that's why she left. Me. Yeah. Well, I mean, if nothing else with gold, you can make a gold baseball bat and use it as home defense. So, but anyways, I want to wrap up because I'm tired of these tech issues, and uh, I feel like you guys are starting to cut out. I know. And I wish I was there in Lincoln with you guys, drinking in that garage. Yeah, because uh, there's a chair. You see, you could be sitting right there, Aaron. I know. Hey, thank, thanks, thanks for having me on. Shout out to the futures markets because they're you know, they're there, they're real, but they're every part of the other markets is what they are. Yeah, and the bond markets, and the bond Absolutely. markets, bond markets are up. <laughs> Turns out there is some risk. That's a yeah, whole other that. topic for another day where you could bring it. Oh up. yeah, exactly. Everybody well, because markets went. Yield go up today. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I, it's I'm, almost at one sixty. Yeah, yield went up. Powell went. We'll see if there's inflation. Is Yellen saying holla? <laughs> Uh, Jay Yellen's just being herself. She's doing nothing. So, yeah, she's not saying much. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't quite. I didn't quite get no, it. No, she's she, she she's slamming Bitcoin. Yeah, so's as um, she does like a gangster. So's what's his face out of India. He said that India should ban Bitcoin. I've forgotten his name. The guy, the Warren Buffett really? of India. I've, for, I've forgotten his name, and I feel bad for it. Oh well, yeah. Well, let's let's say this all for sure. Another episode because I want to wrap up. Dave, dude, thank you so yeah, much cheers, for joining us, man. It's good to like, be drinking is, with you th- all three times. Well, the thing is, like, it's like we've ran through so many issues setting this up. And, even tonight. Yeah, exactly. Even tonight. And don't worry, once this all gets edited, it's going to sound way better, hopefully, because I don't know how good of an editor I am. But I've done all the other episodes, so we'll see. Anyways, thank you so much. If you guys are out there, you guys are trying to hedge against futures, you know, all five listeners out there. If you guys are trying to hedge against the fluctuating commodity prices, Look up Futures One. I mean, there's a lot of services that they can provide to help you out. So check that out. Um, and if you're looking for a place to live somewhere in Lincoln, Nebraska, check out one of one of Dave's, Dave's five properties. properties. Yeah, maybe you could be one of his tenants. Or if you're looking for a gym to work out at, the Good Life Fitness. I worked out there. I trained as a powerlifter back in the day. I don't know if you guys know that about me. I was a golfer that turned into a powerlifter. But you know, and I signed up for some for a meet once, and I pulled muscle in my back. It's a long story. I don't want to get into it because I was really sad. And I don't know if you guys know this about me, but the only gym I go to is Jim Beam. So, but you know, Jim Beam and Dave Fiala's gym, Futures One, is also good life. Good, good, sorry, which is next door to Futures One, but the Good Life Fitness in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's an excellent gym. If you're looking for a good place to work out in Lincoln, check that place out. Anyways, uh, that's my. That's all for my shameless plugs. I don't know what else to do because you do a lot of other things that. You know, you're just like this weird entrepreneur guy. So appreciate <laughs> you taking the time, man. Dude, this has right. been so much fun. So it I want to have you back on. You're a good friend of ours. You know, James and I are both very proud and lucky to have you as a friend. And uh, you know, I right. appreciate your insights. Just, just this make me sound good. good. So yeah. anyways, uh, with that said, I want to wrap up really, really fast. Merch, social media, at Drunkenomical, D-R-U-N-K-U-N-O-M-I-C-A-L. And uh, Patreon, that's patreon.com slash drunkenomics. If you want to, you know, help us out in any of those ways or whatever, you know, just go check all those things out. And I said that really, really And fast. you could look just as cool because we, uh, we created maybe the only baby bib ever with the Drunkenomics logo. 
Not that she's she's a little young yeah, for that, but is, she she will be one month. This tomorrow. is a wow. kid that's as far away from the age of twenty one as possible, and is already wearing a drunkenomics. Yeah, she's a fashionable tire. kid. What can we Excellent. say? Yeah, it's awesome. So check that out too. Last but not least, Discord. Join this conversation. We want you, Econaholics, to uh, engage with each other and be cool and be friends with each other and drink with each other. So with that said, uh, let's wrap up. Like Dave, like I said, thank you so much, James. You play Chinese you, chess, not chess. Is there checkers. anything else we need to say? No, wait. Chinese New Year's is a long time ago, man. Not that. Uh-huh. Um, Stay drunk and <laughs> Cheers. I believe I can drink. 